Okay, here we go. Welcome to Mostly Hairless Apes here in the Church of Science. I'm Dr. Gene Mesco. Wake me up for the revolution. You say you want a revolution? That's where we are right now. You may not expect it, but it's coming. If not mine, somebody else's. I've talked before about using science as our primary belief system, along with as much capitalism and democracy as we can tolerate. When tolerance runs out, people look for alternatives. That's what starts revolutions. That's why tolerance is a good thing to monitor. Religions have done that in the past. They tried to promote tolerance. Christianity used to do it, but it's mutated into something different in America. Tolerance is an essential skill in any large society. We all put up with things until we don't. When we no longer tolerate things, we cause change. Serious changes are revolutions. There have been lots of revolutions throughout history, but I want to focus on the next one. But before we look ahead, we need to look back. Being a member of the Church of Science, one can appreciate that history is a scientific discipline. Historians use logic and evidence to state what happened, describing events so long ago they sometimes they even had telephones with cords, some even older than that. I just want to look back about half a millennium, 500 years, a drop in the bucket of the three and a half billion years of life on Earth. Of course, three and a half billion years ago, life was scum. No, really, it probably would best be described as slime if we could actually do the time machine thing. 500 years ago is easy peasy compared to sorting out what the oldest form of life was three and a half billion years ago. So I want to look at the lens of, through the lens of evolution at European history. I apologize, but I'm going hetero white guy with Catholic school issues here. That's who I am. So I'm working from there. Let's start with Europe. We'll get off to, we'll get to all the rest of Earth soon enough. Lots of revolutions in Europe over the last 500 years. A lot of them did involve shots being fired. But I'm talking about the big ones, the big revolutions, the ones with the big ideas. Because ultimately, that's what starts revolutions. Ideas change the world. That's why belief systems are so important. They outrank governments and they outrank economies. Those are the big three social adaptations, if you remember, as stated here in the Church of Science. There are adaptations due to, they are adaptations due to artificial selection, which is how humans drive evolutionary change. Each one of them is just an idea. Belief systems are what we believe along with the associated evolved social structures. Belief and knowledge are the two types of information that drive social evolution by artificial selection. DNA and biochemical information drive evolution by natural selection. That's staying alive, making babies. But societies all depend on ideas. We've got to agree to get along with each other. Humans got out in front of natural selection at least tens of thousands of years ago. Maybe hundreds of thousands. We were hunter and gathering, hunting and gathering. We raised families and evolved into social groups. We splintered and merged and got to where we are today. About 200 nation states. Most actually belong to a common social club called the United Nations. Uh, most Americans are loath to even consider most of their advice. How did we get here? We evolved, of course. Hopefully you've been listening. That's one of the beautiful things about the Church of Science. We can ramble around and get to these different ideas. Science acknowledges that, they, that we don't have all the answers, but what it does say is that science gives us the best way to get to these answers. And so we're working through the truth of sorting out these ideas. Uh, and today, what, we'll do, what are we going to deal with? We're going to deal with my main hypothesis. My main hypothesis is that evolutionary processes at the social level involve three major adaptations. Belief systems, governments, and economies. And given those definitions, I propose that I can provide an analysis of European history as a sequence 
of evolutionary changes within those social adaptations. Let's go back in history. Let's go back to about 1400 CE, the Common Era. Sorry, Anno Domini, AD, is going away. That's due to an evolutionary decline in Christianity and Catholicism as the major belief system, along with other belief systems coming into play. The Common Era is a little more PC. But Europe was mostly familial aristocracies back in 1400, a little over 500 years ago. Family aristocracies sitting on top of feudal economies with a unified official belief system, Catholicism, you know, the Western Roman Empire. There was an Eastern Roman Empire because they split. Uh, the government were autocracies. The king was the ultimate authority with whatever associated royals. And they defended their territory and the majority of people farmed. And there was a very basic economy, a feudal economy, if you will. Involved some barter, but whatever uh, cash there was, was defined by the local kings. Knowledge and belief gave us different things there. The big first revolution came about was the Renaissance. You might have read it, you might remember that from school, the rebirth of knowledge. Now, now, what was that idea about belief and knowledge? Well, knowledge was that major form of information relative to beliefs. Feudalism depended on religious belief that invoked unknowable powers. They didn't know everybody. They thought they had the answers and that God would give them the rest of them. That's how they were able to build some of those medieval churches. But the churches and the royals synergized their activities most of the time. You know, and they'd get up, they'd fight, and they'd get power-hungry and upset the balance. But they both promoted the idea of unquestionable leadership. That was a big thing in the feudal era. The king and the church were in charge. Everybody else just needed to listen. And life was pretty miserable if you didn't listen. <laughs> but then... Uh, if you, uh, you could claim, if you were a royal, that nature was on your side. You were the best and the brightest. So, of course, they and their children should rule everybody in perpetuity, if possible. If you were a church leader, you needed everyone to understand that the only, the only way through to a better place was listening to, to the church, and they could find the way, the truth, and the light. The only real wealth was biological. That's why owning land and holding on to land was so important. Agriculture employed four out of five citizens. If you didn't have enough to eat, things got pretty bad. And there was minimal trade. Uh, it was nice and stable for hundreds of years. And then knowledge changed. That was the Renaissance, the rebirth, the rediscovery of reams of knowledge from the eastern half of the Mediterranean. Various scholars and merchants moved to escape the Arabic hordes. Well, what was the deal with the Middle East? Well, European Christians had been fighting crusades for centuries. And the Arabs finally won a big one. In 1453, they sacked Constantinople, Constantinople, the seat of the Byzantine or Eastern Roman Empire. It was the culmination of literally centuries of squabbling, primarily because of religious differences. The Christians in Europe had sent armies into the Middle East, we had the Crusades, and we had all of these nasty fights, and thousands of people had died, huge amounts of blood and treasure were spent, uh, but the Europeans apparently were incompetent enough that they finally lost. And the Arabic Empire, the Ottoman Empire at the time that was expanding, uh, took over a big chunk of Eastern Europe and brought Islam with them, their, other, their religion. But the smart people got out. So a bunch of people left, they took their books with them, and they got out before the final curtain came down, and they moved over into Western Europe, and they brought their, their knowledge with them. 
and it was this admixture of belief systems. Roman, Roman Constantinople had split centuries before, back uh, hundreds of years before. And so the Ottoman Empire expanded, the Eastern Roman Empire went extinct, and the Holy Roman Empire held on in Western Europe. Lots of new ideas now, though, stirring the pot. And what did some of those ideas come about? Those ideas that could, you could question things and find better answers. There, had, there always had to be questions. Because there were different empires. You had this new influx of people, new influx of ideas. And what did you get? They, you got uh, ideas rippling through society, conflicting with each other. And that's the first thing that has to change for any social revolution. You've got to change ideas, change consciousness. And then we got the Reformation. So the next big revolution was the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. So maybe the Renaissance reminded everybody that there used to be two popes. And if there were two, why not three? Maybe, maybe you could have a lesbian atheist as pope. Okay, a little too soon for that. But the Protestant Reformation was a revolution in belief systems. If there are different ways to find God, how do we know which is the right way? Maybe those other guys have a better idea. So European Christianity started to unravel in the 1500s. Some of that trust in monolithic social authority eroded. And one of the new ideas grew into a really big new belief system, the scientific revolution. Francis Bacon and the gospel of the scientific method Lots of people, Galileo, Copernicus, all of those guys figured out and started looking at the universe and saying, oh, wait a minute, maybe the church doesn't have the answers. Some of them got persecuted. Some of them got killed. Some of them got jailed. Uh, but also some of them went, wait a minute, that's a good idea. We can do things. We can figure out navigation. We can figure out how to do things differently. We can start building industrial processes. And that's, that's going to lead us to the Industrial Revolution. We'll, we'll get there shortly. But astronomy, chemistry, physics, even biology started to take these great leaps. Vesalius, if you're a biology fan, one of my favorites. Uh, but all that knowledge started drifting into technology. The technology leapt forward, and, what, and that changed the economy, and changed the governments, changed the religious systems. The, the economy shifted from a feudal agrarian one to a mercantile economy. Because the, the royals were starting to expand. They started to take some of this information, some of that new scientific knowledge, converted into technology. And what did they do? They overlapped a big revolution that overlapped this whole era, era of 500 years. We had the Renaissance and the Reformation and the scientific revolution. But all of that started colonialism. The people in Europe figured out that we could stop fighting each other so much they were still fighting each other, and they continued to fight each other into the 20th century. But they also said, wait a minute, we can go elsewhere and start exploring other lands. And that's what expanded the economy, changed the governments into more privateering, because now you started to build up private investors, you started to build up markets with more trade, because you had better tools to navigate with, and better tools to fight with, and they could go conquer other lands. And so they moved into a mercantile economy era, still dominated by the royals. The churches just generated disagreements. You still had Catholics versus Protestants. You still had England versus Spain. You had a whole bunch of fun rivalries going on there. But now they were expanding out and taking over new territories. Uh, all the non-Europeans look out in the rest of the world because colonialism was on the, on the rise. And that grew all the way through the 1600s, 1700s. While science was being explored back home, 
and all that new technology. They, they couldn't go over land anymore. Those Ottoman Empire was in the way. Had to go through those nasty Islam people. Jeez. And eventually the European monarchies were getting a little crowded. And so they moved out. The point in fighting in Europe had hit diminishing returns, so they took off on all these new territories, discovered the Americas, you know, sailed around the world, did circumnavigation, and uh, figured out how to, that we were on this one big blue planet. Lots of plenty of wars going on, but that war is a pretty costly investment. It's way better if you can get it out of your own territory. And that's what happened with Europe. They spent it out and they, they, they took over the other territories, started to own a lot of people. Uh, slavery became a nice, useful tool for all of this. Now, eventually, uh, the Industrial Revolution kicks in. So we get through all of this point. We're squabbling. We're building up new technologies. Uh, people are trading. And it couldn't always work out. There was gunpowder and steel and germs, if you're familiar with the implications of those. And, it's, and, and we're getting up into the modern era now. So from 1500, the Renaissance generates those new ideas, splits belief systems. We get new Christian religions. They fragment this into various sects in Europe. The monarchies are trying to grow out and maintain more wealth for their royals. And they suck up a lot of resources. And so colonialism gives them the cause for an expansion. And they start taking over empires. Science gave more technology, which gave us the Industrial Revolution, expanding markets, private wealth. Now, private wealth was a big part because you're going to shift away from these government aristocratic economies, the mercantile economies, into true capitalism because industry created multiple sources of wealth with the machines at our disposal. We could create more than anything one, than any one human could possibly produce. So now the economies evolved into capitalist economies. And we went, so now you've got capitalist economies with more independent wealth distinct from the landowning monarchs, and they're challenging each other for social influence. The monarchies are still trying to commandeer everybody and run things. Uh, the religious points are going down, and the royals really start to fade out in the 1800s here. The monarchies are really being selected against, because the two main points supporting them were the religious points and the biology points. The idea of the divine right of kings, that those royals were so much better, uh, and that a deity gifted them to any given country, and they, we should be happy to have them, but with different gods, which was the best belief. And were those actually the best people to rule? Lots of wacky rulers uh, through history. Charles II of Spain was a mental defect. The different uh, rulers had different issues all through the era. Uh, we could, <laughs> over the last 500 years, you could find plenty of wacky dictators to put on the list. But the idea of having a biological leadership uh, is slipping away in terms of social ideas. And... And democracy starts to sum up because new labor movements arise as industrial practices increase and workers become more unified. They used to have to work out on the farms and they weren't that concentrated, but industry concentrated them. The growth of technology and the industrial revolution slammed a bunch of people together in urban centers and they realized they had to work out some sort of deal for everybody to work together. And those were democratic systems. That's why we got all the labor unions evolving in the 1800s, all the different social organizations, and they're competing with the royals. And capitalism is distributing wealth. So now you've got this fragmentation. You've got belief systems fragmenting. You've got the royalty coming down. You've got capitalism increasing economic aristocrats, spreading the system. You've got a religious failing. And what happens then? 
goes into the 19th century, and it pretty much all blows up. As long as we had colonialism working, uh, but the end of colonialism is it's about where we are right now. It really blew up in the 20th century. Uh, the, the royals really slipped away and worked for a while. Worked on the greed of people getting more stuff. You know, more, more is better. If I can take a profit, I will. All during that feudal age, the mercantile economies, believe, people believed it was their lot in life just to get by. That was one of the powers of the religious belief systems, the Protestant work ethic, the idea that God said your life's miserable, you should just be a believer and take care, and let the royals take care of things. That idea really slowly slipped away until we got more democracy and the people realized they could have their own land and we could move out to these other places. There were lots of open spaces on the planet and we could go out there and democracy and capitalism became the dominant ideas moving from the Renaissance to the Reformation to science to industry, capitalism and colonialism said everybody could be their own master. We had the rise of pirates in the 18th century. People broke away from the authority of the state. Every home could be a castle as long as you could figure it out. And so we got through colonialism and then continued colonialism through the Industrial Revolution. Capitalism became dominant. Uh, and basically, non-Europeans in the natural world paid the price for colonial expansion. A great big world out there, and you go out and grab some of it. America was the epitome of that belief, and it was really the last hold, the whole new world, till we filled it up and expanded those same ideas. And what did we get? Uh, we worked through the 1800s then into the 20th century. We got a bunch of economic aristocrats who grabbed up land, who drove industrial. In America, we had the robber barons at the end of the 1800s. And, and and then it all blew up. The royals were one big extended family in, in Europe, basically. Lots of inbreeding going on there, breeding some nice genetic defects. Uh, but then right, right at 1901, Victoria passes. And, and it was basically like mom leaving the family. You know, they, lost the, they lost the big queen mother. And all the knowledge that was available, all the wealth that was available, people said, is this really what we should do? And the royals in Europe blew the whole system up. They started attacking each other. The whole world went to war, the Great War, World War I. Talk about blood and treasure. Ah, oh, when the shouting died down, most of the royal houses were gone or greatly diminished in power. The remaining powers to organize society were democracy and capitalism and science. And they got tossed around for a generation. Different dictators tried to step up. We had Hitler and Stalin. We shifted from hot wars to cold wars once we figured out nuclear weapons. The technology got crazy. Uh, to warfare went away from a physical enterprise, which is part of the whole masculinity problem in society today. Because for hundreds of years, the, uh, social authority was defined by being bigger and badder than everybody else. And that was mostly a guy thing. And over the last 50 years, ever since the atomic age, Technology has become more important. And then bottom line is you don't have to, it doesn't matter how many muscle mass you have if all you have to do is push buttons, which is what most military actions are today. And women can do that just as well as men or, or gays or straights or black or white. It doesn't really matter. None of those things will come about. And it's all about making the best decisions for the most people possible. So democracy is there. But now democracy is competing with 
capitalism along with authoritarian government still. That was the Cold War. That's what we threw out with communism, was the last vestiges of authoritarianism. We said, no, no, we don't want anybody in charge, whether you call yourself a people's government or if you're still just a dictator. Do you think the the pejorative term dick originated from dictators? Maybe. But the idea of having a government that's run by the people it became the popular item. America rode its wave of popularity as the last man standing after World War II. And we took down the, we defeated the communists. And what was left? We were left with democracy and capitalism and science. Well, science doesn't care. Science just is all about investigating. Science is just about having a belief system that says, what are the, what's the knowledge that we have to work with? Let's make as few assumptions as possible. And let's figure out what the information says. Well, when I look at it from the Church of Science in the 20th and now in the 21st century, what do we see? We see democracy and capitalism battling it out. Some people saying everybody should have a say. Other people saying we should still have dictators. We should still have some people in charge because they believe something or they own something or, they, or they're white or they're whatever it might be. And that was, we, we got rid of that with the Cold War. We said, no, democracy wins. But the problem is we still have capitalism, and that's the big dilemma for us right now. The big revolutions of the last 500 years, of the colonial era, of the Renaissance, of the Reformation, of the scientific revolution, of the industrial revolution, all of those end up yielding now in the 21st century a final discussion point to decide how we're going to move forward. Do we want democracy to rule capitalism, or do we want capitalism over democracy? Because if we want capitalism over democracy, then we just perpetuate that idea of colonialism. We say that some people own stuff because they own stuff, they have more power, and the rules are different for them. And the rest of us just have to go along. Or do we want a real democratic government where we actually make intelligent decisions with each other as best we can, and we make rules that apply to everybody? That's the choice that we're sitting on right now. That's the idea that we have to deal, we have to sort out. The Church of Science declares that governments are more important, social adaptations than economies, because governments define our interactions between each other and the natural world, and they use as much knowledge as we can generate to answer those questions. Economies just set the scale of trade, and if you allow for excessive ownership, if you allow for aristocratic wealth, if you allow for unregulated capitalism to dominate government, then whoever owns stuff, whoever can hire the, the biggest army, gather up the most force, is going to make the rules, and that's all there will be. And that's basically reverting back to biological evolution. That's just saying... Survival of the, of the mightiest, survival of the strongest, whoever can, who can kill everybody else or threaten everybody else, generate the most fear, wins the day. Or we can make another choice. We can say, we've done the colonialism thing. We want democracy where everybody who's a competent adult contributes to the government. And we want to, and if it's a little inefficient, we'll deal with that. Because what we're going to do is use the best knowledge available. We're going to use the best knowledge we have to construct a society that creates the best world for everybody. And if it means we don't have any more excessively rich people, so be it. What would that be like? We'll have to build that society from, you know, up from where we are. We've got a lot of it. 
But science also tells us that from a biological perspective, the real trick is sustainability. That an ecological perspective needs to brought into play here. That we can't keep burning fossil fuels. We can't keep having just doing whatever we want to the planet, putting out pollution. We the systems will react. The, the physical systems have limits, and that's that's the big difference between letting capitalism versus democracy decide. Because people realize once you hit adulthood that there are limits. Everybody dies. That's that's the big lie that religion let us get away with for years. They told us, oh, there was an eternal life, and that if your life is really crappy right now, you can get away with something later. Maybe you'll have a better afterlife, so it's okay to suffer right now. But maybe, just maybe, if we structured society on the principles of science and we said, well, we don't know. There might be an afterlife, there might not. But what we should regulate is what we do on Earth, because we should use the best knowledge we have. And if we take the basic assumptions from science that the best thing we can do is minimize our assumptions. Assume there isn't anybody out there to help us, and we got to figure this out on our own. Well, then it's, then it's an issue of where do the adults sit? What do the adults say? The adults say we should share as best we can. Uh, we don't want communism. We don't want socialism. We don't want that. We want capitalism. There should be merits. There should be efforts. There should be rewards for effort and ability. But should they be billions of dollars a year? Should they say somebody can own a whole corporation that determines the livelihood of thousands of people? Or should those thousands of people have a democratic say once a corporation gets big enough to become its own social entity, its own political entity? Because if they can give money to things, to elect politicians, then they can influence the game. And if that's going to change, if money's going to change the game, then it's all about ownership. But what if it's just about thinking? What if it's just about being human? And just making rules that make the most sense to make the life, the, the best life we can for as many people as possible. If that's the case, maybe we should all be members of the Church of Science. And next time we'll talk about the possibilities of what could be, as opposed to what's been uh, on Earth. And we'll see if the Church of Science has some answers for us.